Lord be with you. Paul says that we have been set free from sin and are no longer under the law because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I've been thinking a lot this past week about freedom, in part because on Tuesday we celebrate Independence Day, a day where we give thanks for the freedom we have as Americans, but also because a little over a week ago, my wife and my daughter went up to Lake Almanor while I stayed here in Chico. And the time that they were gone overlapped with my day off, which was Friday. And so I found myself in a situation where after I finished my work on Thursday evening, I had something I hadn't experienced in months, if not years. Right? Suddenly, I had no pastoral responsibilities. I didn't have a child to take care of. I didn't even have to take into consideration my spouse. I was free. I could do absolutely anything. But here's the thing. When there's nothing that you have to do, you have to figure out what to do. Yeah? When you don't have to do anything, you have to figure out what to do. And that's True for me this past two Thursdays ago, but it's also true for us as Christians every single day. Because as Paul says, it is a free gift of eternal life that we receive in Christ Jesus our Lord, which means there is nothing we have to do for it. And so if there is nothing we have to do for eternal life, what that means is we have to figure out what to do in this life. And let me tell you what I did two Thursday evenings ago. So, I, being the red-blooded American man that I am, when I had complete freedom to do anything, I played a computer game. <laughs> and, and my thought on this was, you know, I'd, I'd maybe like spend an hour playing this game before I made myself dinner, and then I'd go do something else. But the game I started playing is a game called Europa Universalis 4. I've got a picture of it here. What it does is it models the whole globe starting in the year 1444. And it models the, like down to the province level. Uh, every province's culture and religion and primary economic good and level of economic development. And what you do in this game is you can pick any nation on the globe in 1444 and then you try to change history starting as that nation. And the goal I set for myself was to start as a, uh, a Japanese daimyo, one of these independent feudal lords in Japan, uh, at a time when Japan wasn't unified. And so I was going to unify Japan and then wait for Christian missionaries to show up, and then I was going to convert all of Japan to Christianity. Classic Thursday night. You know, we've all been there. Yeah. So it was going pretty well at first. I was uniting Japan pretty quickly, and I figured, well, you know, this is going so well. I'll just keep playing a little bit longer and I might have forgotten to eat dinner. Um, and then, you know, the Portuguese and, and the Spaniards were taking a while and showing up with their Jesuit missionaries, so Christianity wasn't coming to my borders. And so I figured, well, I'll just wait a little bit longer until those missionaries show up, and then I can start converting everything to Japan, and then I'll stop for the evening. And so I did. I just played a little bit longer, and uh, eventually, those missionaries showed up, and eventually, yes, I united all of Japan under Christianity at 5 a.m. in the morning. 
Now remember, it, it's my day off at this point. It's Friday morning. And so I figure, well, 5 a.m., if I just sleep from now until 1 p.m., I can get my eight hours of sleep. It'll be fine. My body woke me up at 8.30 a.m. Turns out I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> now, I've read scripture pretty thoroughly. And from what I can tell, nowhere in the Bible does it say it is a sin to play computer games. Nope. Moses doesn't say it's a sin to play computer games. Jesus doesn't say it's a sin to play computer games. Paul, who just loves making lists of all the sins he can think of, even Paul never says playing computer games is a sin. Which maybe should lead us to realize that sin is not a list of rules found in the Bible about what not to do. Yeah. So what is sin? So the Greek word that we find in the New Testament for sin is hamartia, I've got a slide up here. Hamartia is an archery term. It means, as an archer, you're aiming at something, and when you fire, you miss the mark. Sin is to miss the mark. And so the question becomes, what is the mark? Well, Jesus tells us that all the law and all the prophets can be found in two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the target for which we are aiming. Sin is missing that target. Martin Luther, because of this, will define sin as the heart curved in upon itself. And when you think about what that means, it means that sin isn't a list of actions. Sin is a state of being. It's a sin in which your heart is curved in upon itself. But we can do individual sinful actions, right? We can commit sins which are those individual actions that come from the state of our heart curved in upon itself. And understanding this, we can realize that while most things in life are not inherently sinful, you can do pretty much anything as a sin. So my classic example for this is drinking alcohol, right? Some people, they have a glass of wine and something snaps in their head and they lose control, and maybe they turn violent, or maybe they just spend all their family's money. For them, alcohol turns their heart inward very quickly. For other people, a glass of wine or a beer shared with friends, it opens them up. It allows them to be more honest and connect on a level that they wouldn't otherwise. The alcohol in and of itself is not the sin. It's our heart and how we use it. So, Anything works this way, right? Going to church. Hopefully you all come to church because it helps deepen your love for God and deepen your love for your neighbor. But there are people who go to church to try to prove how much better they are than everyone else, right? You can go to church sinfully. And the same thing is true with playing computer games, right? There are lots of people in this world who play computer games as a way to connect with friends, either in person or online. It's a big social activity. They bond. That's not why I play games, right? Let's be clear. I am an introvert with a calling that requires me to talk to people constantly. I play games so I don't have to talk to anyone, right? When I play games, I can fade into my own little world, and the only problems I have to deal with are ones that I can literally solve with the click of a button. I play games so I can disconnect from this world, so I can curve inward and not worry about anyone else. And 
So much so is this the case that I have realized that in my own life, I can track my level of happiness based on how much I play computer games. When I'm at my happiest, I basically don't play any games at all. But there have been periods in my life, a lot of throughout my 20s, when I was depressed. And the way I would deal with that is by playing computer games 30 to 40 hours a week. Right? Computer games became a second full-time job for me. That's where my life was at. Now, look, for me, it's playing games, but I think most of us have found ways to cope with life difficulties, right? We've found coping mechanisms when life is a little too hard and we want to check out. For some of us, that's binging on TV or food, or maybe it's shopping or gambling or booze. And we might tell ourselves, you know, I do these things because I really enjoy them. And maybe for some people, they do do those things and enjoy them. But for those of us who use those things as coping mechanisms, I'm willing to bet that if you're honest with yourself, what you will say is, you don't do those things to enjoy life. You do those things to escape from life, to separate yourself from life. That's why you do them. And here's the thing. Most of us have spent so long doing these activities as coping mechanisms that even when the troubles in our lives go away, even when we maybe don't need to do them anymore, when we are given the freedom to do whatever we want, we don't know what else to do, and so we go back and do the very thing we did when life was at its worst. Paul says, do you not know if you present yourselves as obedient slaves to anyone, you are slaves to the one that you obey? And what Paul is trying to say in maybe our own modern language is that we are like wage slaves who've lived our whole lives working a job that we hate because we have to just to get by. But the day comes when we get to retire and we are set free from this job. And once we're set free and we can do anything, we don't know what to do with ourselves. So we go back and work the very job that we hated all our lives. We punch right back in. Now, look, I, I want to be clear. My life right now is at one of the best points it's ever been. And honestly, I have played very few computer games these past few months. But the moment I am given complete freedom, the freedom to do whatever it is I want to do, what I do is the very thing I did when life was at its worst. I am like that employee who's retired and says, well, what else should I do but go back to work and punch the clock once more? That's what it's like. And, and Paul says to folks like me, he says, what advantage did you get from doing the things of which you are now ashamed? And what I can say is I... I got the advantage of achievement on Steam. I got a digital merit badge that says I converted all of Japan to Christianity, which of all the hundreds of thousands of players who play this game, only 1.6% of them have done. So I have that, Paul. <laughs> Paul says no. No, the end of those things is death. 
for the wages of sin is death. And, and Paul is right, right? We can punch the clock however we want to, but if we punch the clock on our free time for the inward curving of our heart, however it manifests itself, whether that's um, through gluttony or promiscuity or through anger, those things will eventually kill us, both spiritually and physically. Even my gaming, which I know is sort of a goofy sin to talk about, but even my gaming, right? When I woke up on Friday morning, my body was so angry at me. And, and for the rest of the week, like, I could do my job. But I was in literal physical pain for the rest of the week for having pulled that all-nighter. So much so that I do believe if I kept doing that over and over again, it would kill me. But here's the thing. When you wake up and you feel terrible and you feel in pain and you feel ashamed because you did it to yourself, you know what you want to do in that moment? You want to check out from life. You want to go and do the very thing that caused this in the first place. And Paul says that sin, it's, it's like an active power. It wants to claim dominion over you. It wants to decide who you are and who you're going to work for. And it does this by telling you, you know, life doesn't have anything to offer you. You don't have anything to offer life. God, other people, those things aren't for you. Why don't you just curl up in a little ball and let all that stuff fade away? And I will tell you what, Two Fridays ago at 8.30 a.m., that's what I wanted to do. I was like, man, I am not good for anything today. I should just go back and play some more games. But praise Jesus, I have a dog. (laughs) I have a very large dog. And you know how I forgot to feed myself dinner? I also forgot to feed her dinner. And she was not having this. She also very much wanted a walk, and so she was not going to let me play games. And also, I had scheduled a couple meetups with friends, one who was expecting me to go to where they were, and and one where they were going to come to my house. And so people started showing up in my life. And then the next day, I had three different church events scheduled on Saturday, one of which... Uh, after all those things, my, my wife and my daughter showed up at home. And I will tell you what, in every single one of those interactions on Friday and Saturday I had, I was in pain. But every single one of those interactions gave me more life than my game did. And in every single one of those interactions, I was reminded how good my life is, how grateful I am to have everything that I have, that I get to have all these connections that make demands of me to do something other than playing games. Paul says that in Christ, sin will no longer have dominion over you. And I want to be clear on what that means. It does not mean you will never sin again, right? I can vouch that's going to happen, right? What it does mean is sin doesn't get to decide who you are and who you work for. Sin doesn't get to decide who you're punching the clock for on your free time. You get to decide that. And it is true that we can go back and do the very things that harm us in our free time, 
the things that separate us from life. We can make ourselves a slave to sin. But Paul says, you know what you could also do? You could punch the clock for righteousness. And in the gospel today, we hear that Jesus sends out disciples. He sends out disciples because Jesus knows that when we are set free by God's grace, we will be able to do whatever we want. And all we know what to do is go back to the old sinful job we had. So Jesus sends his disciples out as recruiters to invite us to work for a new job. Paul says, you can make yourself slaves to righteousness, which means you can choose on your free time to punch the clock for the things that connect you to God and to your neighbor. You make yourself a slave to righteousness, not because you have to. Remember, God's love and eternal life is a free gift to us in Jesus Christ. No, you make yourself a slave to righteousness because you want to. Because you know in the connections you get from doing this work, your life is full and abundant and joyful. Now, Paul gets very vague on the details of, practically speaking, how you make yourself a slave to righteousness. And rightly so, because here's the thing. Each and every single one of us is unique. And Paul has just spent the first six chapters of Romans in telling us, you have been set free from the law. There is now no longer one big old book of rules that tells you how you live your life. You're free from that. So it would be very sketchy for Paul to say, here's a whole new list of rules for how you live your life. No. What we have instead is a relationship. A relationship with God and with our neighbors. And like every relationship, we have to figure out how to make that relationship work. But Jesus and the people he sends out gives us some insights. He tells us, first of all, that he sends his disciples out into this world and that anyone who welcomes his disciples welcomes him and that they welcome God with him, which is a reminder for us that anytime we welcome someone into our lives, we are not only welcoming that person, we welcome whatever baggage they bring with them, whether for good or for ill. And so Jesus says there are are three folks, three kinds of folks that we might welcome into our lives. He says that there are prophets, and whoever welcomes a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet. Now, once again, we are so trained to think any reward we get from God must be eternal life, but as a reminder, that is a free gift. Paul is very clear on this. That is a free gift. So what is the reward we get when we welcome a prophet? Well, we welcome a prophet, we get whatever a prophet brings, which is the word of God. That's what a prophet brings. That's the reward they give us when we welcome them into our lives. And most of us today, we don't encounter prophets sort of wandering around the town square, but we do encounter God's word in two main places, scripture and prayer. And I will tell you what, there is a way where you can literally punch the clock for scripture and prayer. Almost everyone in this room has a smartphone. Your smartphone has the ability to set up alarms throughout the day. I got a picture here of one, right? You can just set up alarms on your phone throughout the day as reminders, oh wait, I should take this moment maybe to read scripture, maybe to give thanks, maybe to pray for all the things that I see in this world that have needs, or maybe just to silence my mind for a moment and listen to God. Right? To literally punch in and work 
for God's word, to welcome that prophet into your life. Jesus also says you can welcome the righteous into your life and you receive their reward. Now, to be righteous simply means that you have the kind of relationship with God and other people that God intends for you to have. And when Jesus sends out his disciples, he tells them to baptize people. And then he tells them to make them disciples. And so we might say, when we welcome the righteous into our lives, what we are welcoming is the sacraments. Coming and having communion. We, we can go down into the creek and remember our baptism or jump into a pool on a hot day or, or take a shower. But it's also an invitation to become a disciple, which is to say to use the gifts we have for the service of others. We have in this congregation a whole team called the Equipping Ministry Team. They want to help you realize that you have unique spiritual gifts for the sake of serving others so that in your free time you punch your clock loving your neighbor. And Jesus says the third type of person we might welcome is a little one. Now, The slide we got up there makes it sound like a little one is a child, and next week we will hear Jesus talk about children. But today he's talking about his disciples, who are the little ones. They are just ordinary people who are trying to follow him. And the truth is, whenever we welcome anyone into our lives who is trying to follow Jesus, we get their reward. We get Jesus coming along with them. And that's why we as a church, we have all these silly activities like swimming in the creek or our Ted Lasso Bible study. You might say, well, is this serious church work? Yes, because this work is to get you to have a relationship with people in your lives who will invite you to know Jesus, who will remind you of God's love, who will connect you to the goodness of life. And look, Some of the ways we do this are silly. Some of them are more serious Bible studies. Some folks have found that 12-step groups are the thing they need to make sure that they submit themselves to righteousness instead of sin. But the point is this. Jesus sends people into our lives to remind us how good life is so that we can make our life about a relationship with them and God instead of thinking all we have is curling up in a ball. Sometimes the people Jesus sends into our lives are our dogs. Sometimes they're folks at church. Sometimes maybe there's someone we meet on the street. I don't know if you've noticed, my wife and my daughter are not here today. They are once again up at Lake Almanor, leaving me alone to decide what to do with my own life. I knew this was going to happen, which is why last yesterday I scheduled a creek swim, and I got to be blessed to swim in the waters of promise with wonderful people and to connect with God, and it was so much better than playing a game. So this is what I have to ask of you. When you have free time, ask yourself, who are you working for in that free time? And be honest with yourself. Are you working for something that separates you from life, or are you working for something that gives you life? On Tuesday, our country will celebrate Independence Day, and most of us will have free time on that day. On that day, may we ask ourselves as Americans who enjoy so much freedom, who are we using that freedom for? Are we using that for sin, 
to curve inward and think only of ourselves? Or are we using that freedom to welcome God's prophets into our lives, into our nation, the prophets who speak God's word of justice for people of every race and every gender and every social class? Are we offering a cold cup of water to the least of these in our society that we might receive the reward that comes from knowing Christ through them? Jesus has set us free. May we use our freedom not to make ourselves slaves, but to share the abundance of life with all this world. Amen.